calls me to be otherwise. Like he calls me to be an expression of his love. So that means like my preferences and my line, my uh, wiring, uh, they kind of go out the window. You know, like that's all I know. It's like when I said yes to him, that meant I said yes with my life. And so it meant everything that I did was then an offering to him. So that means I'm in front of you guys <laughs> like talking and I'm a stinking introvert, you know? Okay, so. Um, Ms. Jillian, I love you. Yeah, like, I, I, lo I love you guys so much. Like, this is, like, I'm, I'm grateful for every one of you in here. Like, I want you to know that. And, like, so, like, where I'm, where I'm talking from today, please hear it in love. Like, and I said this in the first service. It was, like, like, whenever we're speaking and it's not geared for ourselves first, like, we have missed the whole point. Like, as, as a person delivering a message from the Word today, like, if I'm giving it to you, man, like, because it's, like, okay, he needs to hear this, I screwed up. Like, this is for me. Like this is like, so anything we say, it should be said for us. Like, because, and I said this in the first service too, it's like, my filtration is not your filtration. Like my worldview, like my upbringing is not yours. And so I have a different viewpoint of scripture as you do. It doesn't change the truth of it. It just changed my, it changes my expression and it changes what I'm going to elaborate on. So I want to encourage you guys, like, like get in the word and hear from the Lord yourselves. Don't rely on some pastor to do it for you. You know what I mean? Again, I'm not, I don't want to besmirch the, the role of being a pastor. It is a, a great joy of mine to be so. But Jesus is Lord. And Jesus' words matter. Mine are going away. Okay, so. Um, get some coffee first. So just to recap, this is the third, third week of the series, um, A New City in Every City in Kansas City. And like, so the first week, Casey talked about like just the title itself and how it was like, like how Matt received that word from the Lord. Like, like, what does it look like to radically impact the city for the sake of the kingdom? And it like, so it means saturation, right? And he was thinking like, like, so we tithe our lives. Like, what does the church look like if it's like a tithe of the city? And that would be like a whole lot of people, like 200,000 people in the Kansas City metro area is what a tithe would look like. So like. This is the phrase that, that landed on him, you know, a new city, and not for the sake of the name of new city. Like, that needs to be said, you know? Like, it's, like, the, the, the backbone of how we function is what we long to express throughout the city, throughout the metro area. Okay, so that was week one. Um, last week, uh, Pastor Casey talked about the importance of our existence as people who are being discipled and people who are discipling. So it's like, like, like I will never, like, I, I mean, I, I will always be a disciple. Like I, like, I will always be a learner, and I will always be discipling. Like, that's just who I am. That's part of, my, that's part of who I am, and that's part of who you are, whether we've recognized that or not. Like, to, to, to be in, in, to occupy a seat on Sunday is beautiful, and to be part of a community is beautiful. That's not the end of it. Like, we're supposed to be the hands and feet, words, and love of Jesus, right? Okay, so... Um, that brings us to the final week of this series, and today we're going to talk about what it looks like for our homes and our neighborhoods to be established dispensaries of the good news of Jesus. And that's like, like for a lot of us, like that makes us squirm because we know that like, well, I shouldn't say we, I know that my house is not always a dispensary of the good news of Jesus. That puts us kind of in an interesting spot, right? But I'm going to talk about it because it's for me first. Um, okay. Now, like, like a way I've, I've kind of looked at this, this sermon series has been like in, in our discipleship pathway, we talk about the up, 
which is our relational time spent with the Father in worship and in study, but mostly it's just like it's hearing from our Father. Like it's not like this mechanical thing that we get information from, you know? Like, so the up is like relationship with the Father. The in is like our relationship with one another, but not like in this environment. So it's like a closer covenantal approach to relationship. So like, like who are we sharing our lives with? Who are we picking up? And who are we being picked up by? Like, I'm reminded that Moses, like, the guy, like, the main guy of the Torah, he wrote most of the, like, he, he scribbled the Torah out, right? He had two men come alongside him and hold his hands up in worship, like, because he was failing. So, like, what happens is our, like, like in our shame and our guilt, what we do as Christians is we think, man, I screwed up, but I don't want to let anybody know because that shows my weakness and, that, and, like, I'm supposed to be strong here. No, we need each other. That's the end. Um, and then the out is what happens when we've allowed the up and the in to inform both our identity and our response to our king and how that results in us sharing the gospel, which gospel is like, that's a word for good news. Like we can just like rest on that. Like what is good news in truth It is that Jesus loves you. Like it's not that like, and it's not a ticket into heaven. Like, like. The good news is not the ticket into heaven. We need to get that through our heads in church. So how that results in us sharing the gospel, good news with the people around us who don't otherwise have that input in their, on their own. So like, like think about it this way. Like oftentimes we think about people that aren't in church. Like we see them as like opposition. How heartbreaking. Like how heartbreaking. Like, there are people out there that, 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 that haven't encountered what I've encountered. And so for me to look at someone like that, that, someone that hasn't experienced that yet, and to shun them is brutal. Like, it's merciless. And it's not loving. Like, but uh, the church adopts this posture of, like, finger-pointing, you know? It's wrong. It's wrong. So for those of us that don't know, like, like part of what the series is, it's, it's like an addition to what we're doing as a church. We're walking through the gospel of Mark, like, fluidly. And, and this is, like, this is included in that. So let's get to the scripture for the week. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Mark chapter 9, verse 14 through 29. It's also going to be on the screen there. Thank you, Tony Loke. You're the man. Um, and just to provide a little context for this passage, last week, if you, if you remember, if you weren't here, that's cool, like, but Casey was just talking about the previous passage, which was uh, Jesus and his closest ones, like Peter, James, and John, they went up to the Mount of Transfiguration and all this glory happened and it like blew their minds. And so this picks up where they're like coming down the mountain and they're just like, like God only knows what, how, how that impacted them, you know, and they're going to meet the other disciples. I want to point out also that that concept of the three closest ones, it's like who are the relationships in your life that you are pouring your life into? Like, who are you allowing to pour into you? Like, what we do is, like, we, like, like, like I said, like, out of guilt of not being strong enough, we, like, shame ourselves into isolation. And all that happens in isolation is you get cut off. So that's where we pick up today. Jesus and his closest companions, Peter, James, and John, are coming back down from the mountain where some crazy stuff happened. That's my notes right there. They, uh, they're on their way back into uh, Caesarea Philippi. So I want, I want us to remember like that city name, Caesarea Philippi, 
it's going to be kind of what runs throughout this, this message today. Um, so let's, let's, uh, I'm going to read through the passage once, pray, and we'll talk about a little bit of stuff, and then we'll come back to the passage, elaborate a little bit, and kind of discuss some things, okay? Um, so starting in verse 14, so they're coming down the mountain. All this, uh, Jesus like transformed before their eyes, right? And so they're coming back from that. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. All of a sudden, when the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. Then he asked them, what are you arguing with them about? Out of the crowd, one man answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. He replied, replied to them, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw him, it immediately convulsed the boy. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said. From childhood. And many times it has thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help him. And Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible to the one who believes. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was rapidly coming together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out shrieking and convulsing him violently. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said, he's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, uh, sorry, just a second here. I'll make sure I don't update here. <laughs> My computer started freaking out. Many said he's dead, but Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him, and he stood up. After he went into a house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them, this kind can only come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So, Father, I just, like, I just give this moment to you, Lord. Like, um, God, we will never have this moment again, not even in eternity. This moment won't repeat. So, God, you are doing something new and unique right now, Lord. Breathe in this room. Breathe on this place, Lord. Let your, let your spirit impact us radically. Lord, let our hearts be soft to your word. And let us hold it up like a mirror before ourselves, Lord. Let us examine our own hearts in the light of Scripture and not point it at somebody else. We praise you, Jesus. Thank you for your word that is eternal. We love you. Amen. Okay. So, um, yeah, you want to put up the, so I've got some, like, a, I've got a picture of, okay, maybe show the cave first if you would, Tone Luke, please. <clears throat> um, so this is, like, when you're walking into Caesarea Philippi today, this is the first thing that you see. It's this massive cave, right? Um, um, so this is kind of, this is the context of this whole passage of scripture. It's like, like everything in this city revolved around this cave. Okay, go ahead and show the next one, brother. This is what, this is like a, a rendering of what, what it looked like before, before all of it came down. Um, so this temple, like in this city, okay, before, before um, Roman occupation, before, um, before these, these structures are set up, uh, the people of Israel lived here. It was called the city of Dan. And what Dan was, it was known for, um, like, this king, Jeroboam, who was, who was like, 
he was a guy that, that really strayed, like he, he did whatever he wanted to, basically. And so what he did, like, to, because he was afraid of people, he said, okay, I'm going to make gods for you. Like, and, and they created a high place, is what it was called in the Old Testament. And the people of Israel quit worshiping the Lord, and they worshiped this, high, this, this uh, Baal, this god. Roman occupation comes, they level it, and they establish their own, their own deities there. Like this in particular, so... Uh, what pagans believed was that, like, like, Pan is the god of the underworld. Like, so, like, in other words, hell. Like, Pan, like, so our word panic is rooted in Pan. He was the god of fear as well. Like, I think pandemic also is, is like, uh, is in there. But Pan is this god, and so his, like, so his sway stood over the city. And in fact, like, so where that cave was, since they, they, they called it Pan's Grotto, like, because they believed that was the entrance to the underworld. And what they would do is they would bring their children. Like, people would travel there, and they would bring infants, and they would throw them into this cave. And they'd fall into this, into a river. Some would, some would, would die on the rocks, and some would sink in the, in the water and die. They would offer, they would appease the god Pan. Horrible. Like, I mean, just like heart-wrenching things. That's the cave they did that at. They approached it. And that's where they literally dropped their children. Like water came out from underneath that cave structure and it came out and if it bled red, like then that meant that Pan rejected their offering and still the child died. And if nothing, then it meant that he received their offering. Still the child died. So that was a practice. I want to point out too, like not to like say, man, those people were so messed up. Here's the thing. They had some person tell them information that they bought into. So much like what we do as, as believers, as people that come to church, and we put some man or woman's words like they're gods, like that causes us to look to the left and the right. So I, I just want, I want, like, I want us to have a heart for compassion, first off. Like not thinking about, man, they are so different than us because they're not. They're not. Like, that's, this is also known, like, so in a spiritual context, these are known as principalities. So it's a spiritual dominion over a city. Keep that, I just wanted to keep that, like, that's the context of where we're, ta- where, like, whenever you read the word, read who it's written to, who wrote it, why it's written, when it was written, and where it was. Like, just, like, it's a really simple way of reading the word instead of, like, thinking about our American culture. Like, because we read things from a comfortable lens. Like, so this is, this is, the, this, this is the, the physical background of, of, of what we're reading through. Okay. So starting in verse 14, when they came to the, to the disciples, so imagine like, like yeah, um, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. All of a sudden, when the whole crowd saw, saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. So like, it, it's important to point out that these people, that, like they worshiped a God in a, in a way that we would see as, 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 as cruel, like, but they still recognized Jesus. They didn't know why. Like when, like, we go to sport, or when we used to go to sporting events, like, everybody, everybody worships. Like, we're wired for it. Um, okay. All of a sudden, the whole crowd saw him. They were amazed and ran to greet him. Then he asked them, what are you arguing with him about? Out of the crowd, one man answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. 
He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. Wherever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. Like, what's important here is what Jesus' interaction with, with, with this man is. Like, he came to him with his son, and Jesus asked him a question, and then he listened. Like, I mean, for those of us that call ourselves Jesus followers, how many times do we listen? Like, we're called to imitate and mimic the life of Jesus. And he did some really simple things that we just completely miss. Like, how often are we listening? Like, am I listening when I ask questions? Am I caring enough to ask questions? Like, am I apathetic or am I empathetic? He replied to him, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Like, that sounds harsh, but he's not speaking. This is in love. Like, his heart is, is breaking because he knows, he knows what's at stake here. He knows what is ruling currently over the city. Bring him to me. So they brought him to him. When the spirit saw him, it immediately convulsed the boy. Like, we spend a lot of time being afraid of evil things or being afraid of, like, like, Being afraid of things that have complete, that are completely submissive to the king. When this spirit saw him, and it is the principality at work in this city, it convulsed. It freaked out. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. More questions, right? So clarifying questions. From childhood, he said. That word in the Greek there, it says from infancy. Like, I want to make the connection between what the pictures that we looked at before we started reading this. From childhood, from in- infancy, he said, and many times it has thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. Like, so it was the same, the same power at work in the city was directly impacting this boy. Like, I, I don't know how old he was at the time of the story. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Like that phrase, do anything. Jesus said, if you, if you can, like that word for can, it's this word, the Greek, the, the Greek word. So also like look into what actually was said in the scripture. Like take the time, like, like actually take the time to see what was written before we attach English words to these words. Like the Greek there, like if you can, that word for can is a Greek word called, it's, it's dynamai. It's the same word that we use for dynamite. Like, so, in other words, he's saying if you have the power. Like, what dynamite means is to be able to have power or have permission. Like, so basically, this guy knew that he was supposed to be before Jesus, but he's questioned him. How often do I do that? It's daily, right? Like, I'm asking him the same, same question. If you're able to, if you would, if you, like, like, if you have permission to do this, and he's the king. So he said, if you can, everything is possible to the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the boy cried out. I, I want to point out that word immediately. How often, like, if I get that response, how often do I stick to my own thought processes? He said, immediately, this guy, this guy is better than me. In all his flawed theology and thinking, he's better than me. Immediately, the father of the boy cried out. The Greek word for that word cry is, uh, is uh, 
uh, krasos, I think, or something like that. It's, it means it, it's, it's to signify a raven's cry. It's the shriek mixed with inarticulate cries. That's the definition of that word. So he, like, he was like just spitting stuff out. He was like desperate for his boy. Like this isn't about like exorcisms, this story. This is about a man and his son. I do believe, help my unbelief. He said that in between all these sounds he was making. When Jesus saw that the crowd was rapidly coming together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, like, so it's as simple as this. You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. When Jesus does something, it's done. When he speaks, it's eternal. And we argue with him as Christians all the time. Like, but I'm, I'm, just this, I'm just this mess. I'm, I'm this train wreck. When he speaks, it's forever. Then it came out shrieking and convulsing him violently. The boy became like a corpse so that many said he's dead. Like, I, I think of myself, like my past. Like, I don't know how many, how many of you guys know my past. Like, I was, I, was, I was in a handful of addictions before I met Jesus. And like, so the people that I used to run with, like, if they saw me today, like in how I live my life, they would probably think that I'm dead compared to the act activity that we all used to run around doing. Like so sometimes, like what, what other people deem dead, it's because they don't know what alive is. That causes like compassion in my heart. To know that somebody doesn't know what living is. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, so he, he touched him. Like, if you look at Jesus, every miracle he did, he put his hands on somebody. Like, we as people, we are wired relationally. But how often are we allowing people in? Like, how often do we, like, if I, if I ever grab you by the shoulder or something, it's because I want you to know that I see you and I want to, like, connect with you physically. Sometimes that's in people's bubble, you know. But I think there's, <laughs> there's grace for, for my boneheadedness. After he, Jesus, went into a house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And, and, and he told them, this kind can only come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So that word for prayer there, um, I forget what the actual word is in the Greek, but it's, it means specifically to pray to God. So like what we've, do, what we've done with our religion is we've like attached these like these methodologies, it's like, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And what, what he's saying is like, these principalities, you got to go to the source of all life. What we do, like we function under these principalities every day. I promise you that I'm not the source of life and neither is anybody on this stage or any other stage. And Fasting. So I want, I'm going to ask some questions now. Like, um, I can please respond. Like, I, I want this to be treated like, like a dialogue. Like, I mean, I know like the traditional like like teachers teach and then people listen. First off, I'm not a gifted teacher, and secondly, I would rather have a conversation than an instruction. You know. So, who are the primary subjects in this account? Who are the main characters? 
Say the boy in Jesus? That's good. Yeah, I would, I would say, like, like, Jesus is throughout Scripture. So he is the word. So obviously. The boy, definitely. Who else? Yeah, man. It's a story about a boy and his dad. What's at stake? Like, what would you guys say is at stake here? Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. So we see a desperate father. Like, how often do we read the scripture from seeing humanity in it? Not often. We kind of take it like a pill, right? Okay, I checked my box. Now I'm holy. I'm going to go be rude to a bunch of people now, you know? I'm going to be rude to my spouse today. I'm going to not listen to my children today. We see a desperate father unsure of what to do outside of where he is supposed to be. Like, so, like when I said this guy does it better than me, he's got some messed up theology because he obviously doesn't know who Jesus is, but he is before Jesus. How often do I, like, when I'm in trouble, like when I'm, when I'm having, having struggles or trouble, like, I dig my heels in, Right? So we see a desperate father unsure of what to do outside of knowing where he was supposed to be. We see him crying out at his wit's end. He's watched his son be tormented by the demonic principality and power over his whole town. Remember the, the one like kids into the water? Same thing. He's, he's watched his son be tormented by that for his whole life since infancy. Like imagine breakfast in this house. Like imagine dinner at this house, or birthdays, or holidays, vacations. Like their worst case scenarios when we put it in our own context. Like a child that's tormented from his infancy. They didn't have a meal that wasn't interrupted by pain. Here's a man fighting for the mental, emotional, and spiritual health of his family and his home. Like for us dads in here, that is our only role, is to fight for the mental, emotional, spiritual, physical health of our family and our home. I would say, I would add on in, in grace and in mercy. So what's at stake here and here? It's the home. Where does every external expression of what we believe flow from or supposed to be flowing from? The home. There can be no justice. There can be no truth, no love, no healing, no revival, no kingdom unless it pours forth from the home. The father in this account, like the rest of us, like I said, like we, when we read the scripture, if we aren't reading it as a reflection of our own life, we are missing the point. The father in this account, like the rest of us, like those around us in our neighborhoods, like those in our homes, he has a skewed view of who Jesus is. And that's not his fault. That's not your fault. That's not my fault. 
And his language reveals that. Like Jesus said, out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what we say is what we're full of. That's good to remember, for me at least. Jesus himself was there to reveal the truth about who he is to this man. Now, like, so that was when Jesus walked on the earth. Since Jesus is no longer bodily walking on this earth, who has been commissioned to declare and walk out the kingdom of God? Us. Me. Like, I can only look in the mirror first, but it is us. That word commissioned, like co-mission, it's partnership, it's relationship. Commissioned by God, given the same mission by God. And his mission doesn't look like us pointing fingers and like and railing on people. When the people in our neighborhoods and our homes are desperate for freedom from years of spiritual, physical, emotional, and mental oppression, who has been placed there? to be the hands and feet, the words and love of our king. Us. So at the end of this passage, Jesus tells his followers that this type of spirit only comes out through prayer and fasting. Like I think I kind of hinted at it already, but I would suggest that maybe this spirit that he's talking about is like a principality. In other words, he's referencing the generational aspect of evil in that city. Like the people are not evil. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the driving force behind those people. And it goes from generation to generation to generation. We are not exempt from this. Not one of us in here. But maybe that's not what he's referencing. I don't know. So can I ask you guys a couple questions? Like, how are we praying like, how are we praying for the people that live to our left and our right across the street and in our backyard? Right, let me reiterate this. How are we praying without judgment or from a place of self-righteousness for the people around us? Do we know their names, like the people that we live near? Are we fasting or have we fasted for those in our home and around it? And so what Jesus was talking about was generational curse. He said this kind comes out with prayer and fasting. Are we doing those two things? Are we partnering with the, the king of kings? And he said, like, my mission is to restore all things. That is an eradication of brokenness and pain that has caused people to function for so long, in my life and in your life. Now, for some of us, those questions might seem like a lot. Like, I'd, I've ne- maybe some of us haven't fasted a day in our lives, you know? Maybe some of us are just trying to establish ourselves like a prayer life, you know? Like, trying to establish that right now. That's okay. Like, I'm not saying those things to, like, like be a source of guilt or shame or anything like that. It's, like, some buddies of mine, like, they, they're in the, um, if you haven't heard of them, look them up. Casey Underground, like, they're friends of New City, like, and they're personal friends of mine, some of those guys. But they, they say it like this. They say, um, say the difference between extraordinary and ordinary fasting and prayer so they, they say like we want to be a people of extraordinary fasting and prayer they say the difference between extraordinary and ordinary is extra like which is of course you know so just start at what you're doing now and add a little extra 
you're doing nothing, it's okay. This week, add a little extra. If you're doing all these things and you're like a superhero Christian, you know, add a little extra. Have we invited our neighbors to share a meal with us? Like, are we hope? Are we good news to the people around us? Like, so often, Christians are known as hypocrites, and we become a black hole. That's not who we are. Are we serving those in our lives? Like, are we serving our, our spouses? Like, do we serve our brides and our husbands? Do we serve our children? Do we serve our neighbors? See, these are all postures and actions embodied by the church, the biblical definition of church. Now, like, in, Western, in the Western viewpoint, like, the church is not, does not add up to what the biblical definition of church is. <coughs> and that's okay. But a wise friend of mine, a mentor of mine, says that grace is simply time given to respond to what you've been taught. So why am I here today talking about homes and neighborhoods? Because the church is literally defined as something that is an overflow from homes into the public sector. It was meant to begin in our houses. Like this is great, but this is not what we are intended for. Like this is like a hiding place that like, like I come to get away from the world. That's not loving. So let's go back to like, like would, you show, would you show those pictures again, Tone Look? Poor favor. Thank you, brother. So I want to keep this up there. When I re- I'm going to read another passage of Scripture, just a verse. Like, so Jesus and his followers came to Caesarea Philippi be- previously in the Word. And it's a scene we're pretty familiar with where, like, Peter confesses who Jesus is. He says, I say you're Messiah. Right? So Jesus responds to him. And so it said, this is on their way in to Caesarea Philippi. So this is in plain view. And they know exactly what that is. So verse 18 says this, it says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, so like the faith of Peter, on this rock, I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. Like in other translations, it says, The gates of hell will not prevail against it. That part of town, like that cave, was known by the locals as the gate of Hades. So when Jesus said those things, he was saying, Principalities will not contain the kingdom. But it's got to flow from somewhere. It's not flowing from a church building. It's not flowing from a teaching or worship. Not flowing from like systematic theology. It's flowing from love that sprouts up in our houses. You can almost read it like he's pointing to the location of the countless atrocities dedicated to the God Pan. We read this word as church, like in our language, in English, but in the Greek, it's, it's a word like a lot of you are probably familiar with it. If you're not, it's okay. Ecclesia. And what ecclesia literally says in Strong's definitions, it says it's a gathering of citizens. So like people that have an identity rooted in a, in a collective. Like so we are a royal nation. That's what Jesus said. Or Peter said that. A holy nation. A royal priesthood. They're a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public space, an assembly, 
So, but what we've done in Western eyes is we've we said, okay, it's called out into the assembly. We've cut out the meat and potatoes because it's scary to be a representation of Jesus. It's not scary to hide in a church wall. Right? And we can profess all we want to profess and we can like, we can be brave and really bold in here and then we go out in the world and like we react in fear and that looks like hatred. A gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place and assembly. The church begins in our homes. The gates of Hades will not overpower the church is what Jesus said. So for those of us who call Jesus our king, let's stop going to church. Let's become the church. Citizens of the kingdom, called out of our homes to live out and declare the power and words of our king in humility and in love. I want to read a passage before we go, like, like I'm blabbing, running long here. Sorry, guys. But I want to read a passage before we go. And this is what Jesus declared when, when he started his ministry. Like, this is what he read. He read from the Torah, and he said, Today, and you're hearing the scripture is being fulfilled. In other words, he read it, everybody understood what it meant, and he said, That is now. And the first part of it is, like, Jesus' announcement of who he is, which is Messiah. And then the second half is, like, the people that call him king and their response. And it goes like this. It's called Messiah's Jubilee. The spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news. Remember that word? Gospel? Good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Like is the church in actively healing the brokenhearted or are we taking the people that are brokenhearted and shunning them? Like agreeing with who they grew up to, to believe they were supposed to be. To proclaim liberty to captives. Whenever I read that word, I, I read addict, because that's me. And freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion and give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. That is Messiah's role. Now, this is our role. If we call him king, they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify him. They will rebuild the ancient ruins so that the travesty that we looked at, that picture of that, they will rebuild ancient ruins. That looks like cutting off generational curse. It looks like an establishment of a new word for a family, a home. They will restore the former devastations. They will renew the ruined cities. And like we, as Christians, we like to hide behind our Facebook profiles and take shots at people that are burning cities to the ground. Christians are supposed to renew cities. We aren't supposed to hide behind our Bibles. They will restore the former devastations. They will renew the ruined cities. The devastations, listen, of many generations. Strangers will stand and feed your flocks, and foreigners will be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you will be called the Lord's priests, and they will speak of you as ministers of our God. 
You will eat the wealth of nations, and you will boast in their riches. That sounds a lot like partnering with people to build them up, doesn't it? Because your shame was double and they cried out, disgrace is their portion, therefore they will possess double in their land and eternal joy will be theirs. Be theirs. For I, Yahweh, love justice. I hate robbery and injustice. I will faithfully reward them and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants, so generations, their descendants will be known among the nations and their posterity among the peoples. All who see them will recognize that they are the people, they are a people the Lord has blessed. Like, and I asked this in the first service, like, I don't, when, when I go out of, out of these church walls, do people look at me and say, that guy's blessed? Probably not. Because I look like everybody else, and I carry around the same lifelessness at times. I greatly rejoice in the Lord, I exalt I exult in my God. That word is a physical expression of exaltation. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness as a groom wears a turban and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Like the picture of marriage is represented here. We were given marriage to see who he is. For as the earth produces its fruit, its growth, And as a garden enables what is sown to spring up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. So this this is his declaration, and it becomes ours if we call him king. And now for this declaration to be real, it has to begin in our houses. Like for us to hide away in a in a in a church, it's not it. And for us to be heavy-worded and zero action, it's not it either. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you said not one word that you speak will go away and that love is what is eternal. Like faith and hope will go away. Every word, every object of our obsession, every vehicle, every job, every relationship, like they all pale, pale in comparison to who you are and your words, Lord. God, I ask that you, you, uh, you, Lord, you carry us out of here and you remind us that this is not reality, that this church environment is not what we go home to, Lord. So God, rather than us trying to make what we go to on Sundays look less like our home, Lord, teach us to make it look more like our home and our home's more like this place. We praise you, Lord. Thank you for uprooting generational curses. Thank you for declaring the year of the Lord's favor. Thank you for being salvation. Thank you for loving us enough to pull us out of death. So we will respond in love to you and love to our fellow men and women. Lord Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys have a great week. Um, You're dismissed. Doubting maze of desert land Where darkness rules the heart of man Till the sun shines light on him
Certainly 